And uh, let me, uh, uh, before we begin the sermon, let me uh, thank everybody who was involved with uh, the excellent showing New Hope had on Thursday night. We, but if you wanted to give again, Sean, you you know, uh, yeah, James. If anybody, uh, James is uh, James will, will personally collect uh, offerings from you if you. Okay, I guess this side didn't get taken right. We should try that more often. We'll just do it again in the middle of the sermon. Uh, thanks to everybody who uh, contributed to the excellent showing New Hope had at the football and faith event on Thursday night. Uh, apparently, they're still counting the money uh, that was raised for um, uh, Brian Float's ministry, Kingdom Reign, uh, which is a ministry that we here at New Hope have supported since our inception. Uh, Brian is involved in mentoring young leaders uh, around the world, places where the church is under severe persecution. And uh, Brian is involved in mentoring these young pastors, uh, both in person and remotely. And uh, he is uh, tremendously encouraged, as well as a little bit exhausted from what happened on Thursday night. Of uh, I think there were about 60 tables there, and uh, New Hope had three, which considering our size means we were punching well above our weight. So uh, thanks to all of you who put tables together. Thanks especially to BJ, who waited until I went out of town for a week to get all the people I was thinking of getting for my table to get to her table. I guess it will. So if, uh, gentlemen, you wouldn't mind throwing Google Earth up. Don't you miss Google? Wasn't that fun when we played with Google Earth before when we journeyed from Jerusalem down to the Dead Sea? We're going to be in a different part of the world. Uh, If you can, well, well, oh, no, you got to start it off where you get the globe. And then you get that vertigo-inducing zoom-in thing. Can you do that? Oh, oh, okay, never mind. Okay. This is Maine. Maine. Okay, state, northeasternmost state. Yeah, up here is Canada. What? America's hat, yes, the 51st state. Our neighbors to the north. Maine, this here is New Brunswick. New Brunswick is Canada. And this line here is very, very, very important in the history of relations between the United States and Canada. This right here is Grand Manan Island in the Bay of Fundy. Over here, this is Nova Scotia, where Mary and I went on our honeymoon. We were here, and then we went over here, and we kind of drove around up there. Uh, if you want to zoom in on, on uh, Grand Manan Island, go ahead and do that. This is Grand Manan. We then, a few years later, went back here uh, on vacation. Uh, the Bay of Fundy here is one of the places in the world that has the most dramatic tides. It's one of those places where, you know, you sort of see the river flow backward. Uh, and uh, what that means is that there are tremendously rich waters here. There are lots of fishies that like to live there. There are some delicious lobsters that live on the ground, on the bottom of the ocean there. Uh, this is a place where the whales come back and forth. So when we went to visit there, we were able to go out on a boat and see some whales. And then down here, this little fuzzy spot here, is a place called Machias Seal Island. Now, Machias Seal Island 
has some history to it. Yeah, don't throw up. Machias Seal Island was last inhabited for real back in World War I when uh, the uh, United States posted some soldiers there to guard the mouth of the Bay of Fundy uh, in case the Germans had any ideas. Uh, but uh, basically, it has had a lighthouse on it and birds. This is one of the most important uh, nesting sanctuaries for Atlantic birds. This is a place where if you are one of the lucky 13 people who is allowed on it each day from each country, you can get yourself dive-bombed by Arctic terns. Uh, Mary and I, uh, unfortunately, when we went, we got on the stick a little bit too late, and uh, we were not able to get in on the being one of the 13 people who was able to go over from Canada that day, because Grand Manan Island is part of Canada. Uh, so we had to sit in a boat, and the, they kind of rode the boat around the island while we watched everybody else go on. And they had to go on uh, with, with hats on, and they had to have a, a big stick that was supposed to deter the Arctic terns from dive-bombing them, because... The Arctic tern is a beautiful bird. If you want to go ahead to the next image. Um, uh, no, not the next image. Don't go yet. Right. The, the other important thing about the history of Machias Seal Island, this is very important, and we will go to the next image, is that when it all goes down between the U.S. and Canada, it's going to be here in Machias Seal Island. Because Machias Seal Island is disputed territory. See... Depending on how you draw this line between Maine and New Brunswick, if you draw it like this, which you should, <laughs> Machias Seal Island is part of the United States. If you draw it like this, Machias Seal Island is part of Canada. Why this incidentally is at issue is, I mentioned the lobsters, lots of lobster fishermen from both the U.S. and Canada go here. Basically what happens is they've got very strict regulations on how many lobsters you can catch in the Canadian and American fishing grounds, which is one reason that, the, that that's been a sustainable uh, crop. The problem is in here, it's disputed, there's no rules, so everybody is just scooping up all the lobsters they possibly can. So if you're a lobster, this is not where you want to live. <laughs> but if you're a bird, you really dig this place because it's protected. As I mentioned, only 13 people from each country are allowed on every day. In addition, there are a couple of, of sort of uh, resident uh, bird experts who are there. And they, you know, really, they live in these bunkers, these little, I think they, they converted these concrete bunkers that the guys in World War I had into these observation places so that, that people can, can sit in to, uh, to observe these nesting birds. Um, two of the birds that, uh, that are especially abundant there are uh, the Arctic tern. Uh, the first, the Arctic tern. This is an Arctic tern. Looks kind of cute, doesn't it? Arctic tern, one of the nastiest birds around. Very, very, very protective of its nests. Yes? Uh, Arctic terns are fairly big. They're kind of like a seagull, sort of. Um, and, and they're much like a seagull. I should have asked Alicia to check that because, I mean, they're big. They're not like hummingbirds. Okay, if somebody's got a smartphone and wants to check on the wingspan of an Arctic tern, just take, take a moment from playing Angry Birds for a second and check that out. <clears throat> you know, you think you come prepared. Yeah, but Arctic tern is majestic. 
lovely bird. Just and it it, it soars over uh, on these on the, on the wind. It is it, it actually the Arctic tern has the longest migration pattern of any bird. It goes all the way from up here in the North Atlantic down to the Antarctic every year. Yes. So it's pretty close, right? Yes, Rick. I, I would refer you to the book of weights and measures in the back of your Bible. To convert, so, yeah, uh, an African or a European Arctic tern. So, so this is the Arctic tern, which it just is majestic, beautiful bird. Uh, you know, and, and we're sitting there in in the boat watching these things just sort of waft around on the air and, and, and then, you know, dive bomb people. It's also a major nesting place for the Atlantic puffin. Aww, which is cute. And um, the puffin uh, does not waft around on the air currents. Has anybody ever seen a puffin fly? Yes. Mary, yes, Mary has. Marlene has. How do you describe the flight path of a puffin? Right. What's that? Like a I, I don't know. I've never really seen a chi- yeah, kind of. Well, like a chicken flying or walking. Yeah. No, they aren't. No, I think line drive is probably the best way. Oh. Right, because they'll hang around here. Yeah. Flying what? Flying stone or football. They're about the size of a, of a football, maybe a small football. And, and they really, they, I mean, when they fly, it's basically a line drive. <laughs> From one place to the next. And we're sitting there in the boat, and we see these terns walking around. And then there's the, we see these puffins in, in the water, and then suddenly they start flapping their wings really crazy, and you go to one place to the other. They actually, what's cool about the puffins is they can swim, or they can fly underwater, basically. They can, the, the same motions they use for flying enable them to go underwater and catch lots of these fish that the uh, baby puffins like. But uh, they, they look very different when they're flying, when they're doing their thing. And that may be one reason why the, the uh, migration uh, habits of the puffin are not nearly as ambitious as those of the Arctic tern. The, uh, the Arctic tern will get as far south as Antarctica. The puffin will get as far south as North Carolina if they're lost. Uh, generally speaking, they tend to stay up in the North Atlantic. So why, you may be wondering, have I been talking about birds this morning? In our passage, chapter 35 of Exodus, Parshat Vayichel, we have... Moses assembling the whole Israelite community and saying to them, these are the things that Yahweh has commanded you to do. For six days, work is to be done. Now, if you have one of those handy Bibles with the little headers at the top of each section, they're not part of the text, they're not inspired, but they are sometimes useful. What does that say? Sabbath regulations, right. If we go back to... Part of our passage last week, chapter 31 of Exodus. 
in verses 12 through 17. Yahweh said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbath. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. Again, God being God is allowed to put himself first when saying me and you. For the rest of us, it's polite to say you and me. This etiquette lesson brought to you by Miss Manners. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Whoever does any work on that day must be cut off from his people. For six days, work is to be done. For the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Early on in Exodus, back when Moses gave the 15, 10 commandments, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. The seventh day is a Sabbath. Have you noticed any any patterns to these discussions of the Sabbath? Anything that maybe sticks out at you? Or doesn't because it's so obvious. What does he say first? Six days shall you labor. The first thing Moses is talking about here is about work, isn't it? Right? Six days shall you labor. This goes all the way back to Genesis. Reading kind of God's creating humanity. Chapter 1, starting in verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them exercise dominion. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then in the next chapter, in chapter 2, God says, uh, or we we read that uh, that, uh, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. And when we think about that passage, right, we think, oh yeah, that's the thing with the tree, you know, the garden, the thing you're not supposed to do. But what's the first thing that we read? The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it, to take care of it. When you think about Eden... You think about you know Adam and Eve there in the garden with you know standing behind strategically placed bushes. What do you think of them doing? Making sure. Thank you. What else might you think of them doing? They're gardening. Yeah. Anybody here has ever tried to keep a garden? You know, like the 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 flowers don't shape themselves. The the shrubberies don't arrange themselves in neat little rows, you know, one little higher than the next. You don't have the apples falling off the trees into nice baskets and storing themselves away. You sure as heck don't have the mint staying where you put it because that stuff will spread over and take over the rest of the garden if you let it. Even in the garden, even in a pre-fall, an Edenic state, even before Adam and Eve messed everything up, you have God calling his people to do what? To work. Work is not a punishment for sin. Work is what God has given us to do. But it doesn't always feel like that, does it? 
there are some of those blessed moments when you're working and you feel like that Arctic turn just kind of soaring along and it's all flowing out and, and everything seems to be working. But I don't know about you, for the most part, work for me is like football. You line up, you bash your head into somebody else. You line up again, you bash into somebody else again. You line up again, Flacco checks down to Ray Rice. You don't get the, the t- uh, first down. Then you got a punt. But I feel like a puffin most of the time when I'm working. And I don't think I'm the only one. I feel like I flap my arms. I go line drive one place to the next. I get there. I take care of it. Now i got to do it again. And some of that is probably because if I had gotten really good at doing some of the things I do, it would be easier. You'd be having the flywheel move. You'd feel like that Arctic turn. But some of it is just because, you know, work's work. That's the reason they call it work. But six days, God says, work is to be done. And it's against that backdrop that God gives us the Sabbath. If you, if you live on a beach in the Caribbean, those corona ads don't look all that appealing. Because probably your job is to bring coronas to the tourists or to keep up the, the deck chairs that they're lying down on. But for us, we look at that, and that is completely different from the lives that we lead day in and day out. We see that ad with the deck chair and the corona sitting there and the beach and the waves. And we think, ah, that's rest. Part of God's genius and part of his blessing to us is that he doesn't just give that to us for a week out of the year, maybe two if you're lucky. But he gives us rest every week. Every seven days, we get this. We get a foretaste of the age to come. A time when we are completely in sync with a different sort of existence. With a different reality. peoples around them were always about sanctifying space. They'd have a holy tree or a holy mountain or a holy hill. But what you get with a Sabbath is God sanctifying time. And he does this, incidentally, in a, an age when everything was measured by the lunar calendar. The seven-day week was really not something people paid much attention to when God first mentions the Sabbath. But here... He says, no, this is what the rhythm of your life is going to look like. And not just your life, by the way, not just the life for my people, the life for anybody who's hanging out with you, anybody who's working for you. Your animals are going to observe the Sabbath. They may not even understand what it is to do that. Probably won't because they're animals. But they're going to rest. People you work who work for you are going to rest on the Sabbath, just like you're resting. You're not going to rest on the backs of their labor. They're going to rest too. Even the alien, the person from another culture who is hanging out with you, he is going to rest too on the Sabbath. 
the deal for your whole culture is that you're going to have one day when you live a different sort of existence. Now, this would have been especially important for the Israelites, getting this command, given that for 400 years before they got it, they had been slaves in Egypt. When you're a slave, you don't usually get one day off a week, do you? In fact, you really don't have any intrinsic human dignity in the eyes of the people you work for. You're a means of production. It's what it is to be a slave. You're given just enough food and shelter to make sure that you can productively crank out the work they need you to do. And when you get to be inefficient, then you're discarded. But God says to his people, no. Whether you're a slave, whether you're free, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're short or tall, fat or skinny, stupid or smart, you have inherent dignity because you're made in my image. And to remind you that you are not just a means of production, that you're not just a factory, that you're not just here to crank stuff out. I'm going to take one day a week and make you live in a completely different way. I'm going to make you live in a way that you are completely unproductive. You ever get that? I feel like I've been so unproductive today. There's one day a week when you're supposed to feel like that. Right? In fact, that's, you know, part of the deal. And, you know, God doesn't just give us Sabbath so that we can strategically maximize our time. Um, you know, you're, you're going to be more productive on the other six days when you are working than if you have one day to rest. That was the, uh, the slur against the Jewish people, right? Oh, they're lazy. They take off a day every week. Well, yeah, we get more work done on the other six than you do all week. So there. God gives it to us to remind us that we are his people, that we bear his image, that we have worth and we have value even if we don't produce anything. And to remind us of that, here's a day when you are not allowed to produce anything. Here's a day when you get to unplug this is not an easy practice to maintain. I mean, part of the reason that God sets up for his people these rules is so that as a whole community they can follow them. I mean, to the point that anybody who profanes the Sabbath is going to be stoned to death by his neighbors. Because if some people are working, then other people are going to feel like they've got to work too to keep up with them. God's going to say, here's how we're going to deal with that. We're not going to let anybody work. Not only am I going to tell you you can't work, I'm going to tell you that you're going to get stoned to death if you do. So put down your Blackberry and relax. And if you are part of the, uh, or, or if you visit the Orthodox community here in town, Saturday is a very different experience deep in the heart of Pikesville than Sunday is. You get this on a large scale. I saw this in, in, when I visited Jerusalem in November. Saturday in Jerusalem, the Sabbath in Jerusalem is completely different. For one thing, you've got to pay a lot more to get a cab because a lot of the cabbies are not, uh, are not working. Everybody's walking around. Most of the places are closed because it's Sabbath. And there was a time when, thanks to blue laws, Sundays were kept like this. There was a time in some communities where there was social pressure, where if you wanted to wash your car, you had to do that in the garage with the door closed. 
You were supposed to be bored for the Lord. That was the rule. Not remotely that way today. In fact, the liquor stores are open in Carroll County on Sundays. I just happen to have heard about this. And since the football games are on Sundays, too, I don't think that's necessarily such a bad thing. But the point is, if we're going to try to practice this kind of thing, if we're going to experience this kind of existence, it's going to take a little bit of planning. There are three specific and practical suggestions I want to make for us in light of this passage. The first is to try it out if you're not keeping a Sabbath, if you're not resting for one day of the week and working on the other six. Some of you need to first try out working on the other six. So like maybe you could start with three or four and try to work your way up from there. But if you're not, start small. Start with two hours where you turn your phone off or you don't check your email. Thanks for the sound effect. Then maybe work your way up to four hours and try for a whole day once a month. But try it and see if it doesn't suck. There's a great story that uh, is told about Rabbi Judah, patriarch who entertained Antoninus, the, the emperor, on a Sabbath. And when he did, he served him cold dishes, of course, right? Because on the Sabbath, you can't light a fire. Served him this cold food, and Antoninus ate it, and he liked it. And there's another time when he entertained Antoninus on a weekday, and he served him hot food. Antoninus said, you know, I actually like the cold food better than the hot food. And Rabbi Judah replied, well, the reason is that the hot food lacks one seasoning. And Antoninus says, I'm the emperor. I don't lack seasoning. And the rabbi said, you know, the hot dishes, what they lack is they lack Sabbath. You got Sabbath in your pantry? Try it out. Find out for yourself if that one day isn't different. Give it a little time. I, like many disciplines, I remember when Mary and I started keeping a date night. We finally we've been told that you need to keep a date night, and so we finally started doing that. And it seemed like the first month or two of them was gripe night. That you know that was the night we finally had a chance to get each other's full and undivided attention to talk about all the things that had been bothering us about each other. We got past that. Try it out. Try a day where you're unplugged, where you're not productive and you're not trying to be. And you're going to find as you do that that you are going to be swimming upstream from the world around you. You're going to need to make some structural changes in your life to make it work. There are two words that are used to talk about Sabbath keeping. The one we get in the Ten Commandments, of course, is to remember the Sabbath. 
remember it and keep it holy. But the other we get is to observe, or another way you could translate that is to guard the Sabbath. There will be all sorts of apparently good reasons that you will be given to stop or to shade it. And there are going to be things that come up. I, just this week, myself, my neighbor across the street passed away tragically. The funeral was on Saturday. The parents are separated. I was able to talk to the mother on Thursday night about the service, but the only time I was going to talk to the father was on Friday. Friday's the day Mary and I keep as a Sabbath. I had to talk to him. I had to go visit the church where the service was going to be held and talk to him there. There really wasn't much of a choice about it. But but set up your life, set up your week, set up your calendar so that you have a day when you don't work. One helpful way of doing that, I think, actually can be to observe it Jewish style, and you look at the day as starting at sundown the previous night. You may have heard of the, the tradition of lighting Sabbath candles. You, know, the, the, you light the Sabbath candles as the Sabbath approaches because you're not going to be able to light any more candles, but you have these candles there to remind you this is Sabbath, this is a different type of of existence that we're going to be living and you start that the night before the third thing I want to recommend in addition to trying it making it a structural element of your week guarding it, try it, guard it and the third is to help somebody else to do it the fact is it is I think virtually impossible for people with young kids to keep a Sabbath without some help. Can I get an amen? The Wins have four young children, very young children. I got to believe it's not easy for you guys to get any rest unless you got some help. There's another great story uh, from the rabbis. Rabbi Hizden, Rabbi Hamuna said that you know, things that have to do with performing a precept or a rule of Torah, they can be taken care of on the Sabbath. Rabbi Eliezer said, you know, you can give money to the poor on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to handle money, but you can give money to the poor on the Sabbath. Rabbi Jacob Baridi said in the name of Rabbi Yohanan, matters of life and death, matters of communal urgency, you can take care of those on the Sabbath. You can go to the synagogues to attend to communal affairs on the, on the Sabbath. And in the school of Rabbi Manasseh, it was taught one may make arrangements on the Sabbath for the betrothal of a young woman and for teaching reading or a craft to a child. Why? Well, Torah says you're not to pursue your affairs. What it means by that is that you're not to pursue your affairs, but the affairs of heaven you may pursue. Serving somebody else, helping somebody else to keep the Sabbath, whether it's by watching their kids or taking care of some urgent matter for them, cutting somebody else's grass on the Sabbath may be something that you can do to honor that and to make it possible for your neighbor to honor that. One of the strengths of our community here at New Hope has always been that we look out for each other, that we take care of each other. We not only bring each other meals when we have babies, we not only visit each other in the hospital. We not only take care of the needs that we have. This might be another way that our community can show our love for one another. 
that we can build up new hope as a place where we together are following God and we're living the abundant life that we have in him. The two are in tension. It's, it's undeniable. Work and rest, they're both there. They're both part of our lives, and they're both supposed to be. God calls us to both. I'll close with these words from the Psalm 127. Unless Yahweh builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless Yahweh watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those whom he loves. In vain you rise early and stay up late, for he grants sleep to those whom he loves. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For God grants sleep to those whom he loves. Will you pray with me? Lord, we're grateful for the work that you give us, that you call us to, for the worthwhile labors that we can devote our energies and our intelligence to. I think of the good things that are done in our community by people here in this room. Everything from painting houses to killing vermin, designing logos, making music, selling real estate, even practicing law. We recognize, Lord, that you've called us all to work, and we also recognize you've called us to rest. And I pray that you would give us the courage, even, to test you out on that and see if it doesn't work. Give us the courage not just to set our phones to vibrate, but to actually turn them off. Not just to stay off our email, but to actually turn off the computer. Give us the grace to treat a portion of our week that is utterly different from the rest. We pray that as we do, we would see the ways that you work through that that we would know what it is to experience the joys of your blessings as we follow you. I pray that you would show us opportunities to help one another to do that. And for some of us, that's going to be showing some tough love, taking away somebody's iPhone. Some of us, that'll mean looking after some kids, helping with some chores, doing the work of heaven that you have called your people to. Give us eyes to see what it is that you're calling us to. Give us the grace to be faithful, to follow as you lead. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.